Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
because of you, Lord, that we live and move and have our being. Hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So worthy are you. Hallelujah. We glorify you. We praise your holy name. His breath in our lungs. That's why we praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Children, amplified, you're dismissed. They're celebrating Valentine's today. I know they're tickled. Cookies. I can remember when I celebrated Valentine as a child. I celebrate it now as an adult. It's a lot more expensive. <laughs> when I was a child, I can remember barely it was a big deal to get a Valentine. Especially from someone you would Google eyed over, you know what I mean? Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, turn to Genesis chapter 4. We've been teaching on covenants. We looked at the new covenant in Christ's blood, and then we looked at Abraham's covenant. And Wednesday we touched on a few things, and I want to bring a little more polish to those things that we touched on and go a little bit deeper in the revelation of what we discussed Wednesday, so if you don't have that uh, copy or the link, get a hold of Brother Darrell, he'll give it to you. Genesis 4.1. I'm going to read in the New International Version. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so Cain became a vagabond. So Cain and Abel brought offerings to the Lord. 
came from the fruit of the ground that he worked and Abel from the firstborn of his flock. And God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's offering. And we looked at this Wednesday night, but I delved into it a little bit deeper and learned a few things. And we're not told exactly why God rejected Cain's offering, at least not in Genesis chapter 4, but we have a few hints which we're going to explore this morning. In uh, Hebrews 11.4, you can turn there, but I can tell you there's a lot of speculation and a lot of commentary as to what the reason was that uh, Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted. Uh, but we can find some clues in the Bible, a few hints here and there. And sometimes the best way to interpret scripture is with scripture. So in Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith he was commended as a righteous man. And when God spoke well of his offerings, there was obviously more than one offering, offerings, and by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. How I many knows the blood of Abel still speaks today? Blood has a voice, and blood speaks. And so here's a couple clues. For some reason, Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's. And faith obviously had to do, some, do with something of the way that it was offered. So to God, true faith always carries with it favor from him. God is pleased when he sees faith. Matter of fact, Hebrews 11 one says, without faith it's impossible to please God. So if we want to please God, we need to develop our faith walk. We need to walk and talk faith to please God. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. So to God, the opposite of walking by faith is walking by sight. In other words, walking by according to the things that we can see. And when you see something, it doesn't take any faith to believe in that because you've already seen it. But this is where our battle lies because we want to walk according to what we see rather than according to what we believe. And that's faith because we're to walk according to God. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to walk by the spirit and not by natural things. And Cain uh, worshipped according to sight, according to what his own senses and desires dictated uh, would be an honorable sacrifice to the Lord. But I know from the Old Testament, especially with the tabernacle, God had a protocol, a special way to approach him. You just couldn't walk into the presence of God. You had a protocol that you had to follow, it had, and it always was with an acceptable blood sacrifice, an offering. And then you could only send in a representative, which is the high priest, and he would make the offering on your behalf. And so this high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, for example, once a year to make atonement for Israel's sins. And if the offering was acceptable, and he did everything according to protocol. He approached God the way that God instructed him to. Then the sins of Israel would be forgiven for one year. They would be covered, so to speak, for one year. And then, of course, during the course of the year, uh, if you, if you uh, uh, 
committed a particular sin of some type, then you would come with a personal sin offering for yourself and have it offered through the high priest or through the priesthood. And so it was like that all through the old covenant. But every single sacrifice, every blood sacrifice pointed to the future sacrifice of God's own son, Jesus Christ. God was setting precedence and he was uh, showing us in types and shadows exactly what we would need through Jesus Christ someday. So Israel had plenty of time to prepare for the true uh, offering of, of Jesus Christ's blood. Plenty of time to realize that they couldn't make it through the law or through religion and that they would have to rely on somebody that was higher than them and he would also have to be a priest. And we know Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek and he is a a high priest because the Apostle Paul says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So we have a priest that represented us, but he didn't go in with the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb. He went in with his own blood and presented it on the altar once and for all. So blood is important, and God began showing us that in Genesis chapter 3. But if we don't understand Genesis chapter 3 and uh, the reason God offered those animal skins to Adam and Eve, then we will never be able to understand fully chapter 4 and why uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was rejected. So that's what we're going to try to find out today because uh, God doesn't do anything without a good reason. Amen? So... I'm pretty sure that Cain's produce probably looked pretty good. Uh, he may have even waxed that fruit a little bit or waxed them vegetables to make them stand out. I'm sure he probably picked the best in his crop and I'm sure he anticipated that all of his hard work and the time and the care that he spent growing those things, those offerings would be appreciated and accepted by the Lord. And that's one of the reasons he was downcast. That's one of the reasons he was angry because he didn't get what he expected. The Lord rejected his offering. And so he proved that to be true by the way he reacted when the Lord rejected his offering. But based on Hebrews 11.4, which we just read, one of the main reasons is his offering was rejected is because he, it was not offered by faith. And faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, is having a confident expectation, a confident expectation in that which you hope for. But faith is not simply a feeling of confident expectation. There's more to it than that. And Cain was confidently expecting God to accept his sacrifice, or he would have never brought it. But true faith comes from hearing God's word, understanding God's word, submitting ourselves to God's word, and then acting upon that word that we heard. Because faith without works is what? Dead. So we have to put action to our faith. And uh, Abel had a more excellent and better sacrifice because he was acknowledging his sinfulness and his need for mercy. Cain wasn't. Cain's offering was symbolic of a cursed ground. You remember God cursed the ground uh, when Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, so his offering was seeking a blessing uh, rather than seeking atonement for his sins. 
and uh, seeking a blessing because if you get the first 10% or the first fruits of the crop uh, offering to the Lord and he blesses that, he blesses your offering, he receives it, then he'll bless the other 90% of your crop. And that's what Cain was seeking for. He wasn't seeking to please God. He was seeking for God to give him a blessing. And so, uh, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice, a better sacrifice. So faith is the way it was offered, but why more excellent? Why was it better? I believe because it was a sin offering. I believe it was because Abel recognized his sin and recognized his need for forgiveness and his need for mercy. And so he brought the acceptable offering according to how he was taught through his father, uh, Adam. And Adam was taught by his father, who is God. So Abel was acknowledging his sinfulness. He was acknowledging his need for mercy. And uh, uh, Cain's offering, again, was representative of the cursed ground it came from. And so... Abel was justified by faith in Christ's blood, which he acknowledged in type. I know we didn't have the New Testament. He didn't know Christ was going to be an offering someday, but he acknowledged it in type, and God testified to his righteousness by accepting his offering. You know, God uh, called Ab Abram or Abraham uh, righteous because of Abraham's faith. He accounted it to Abraham because of his faith. And so we know from the Old Testament, Saul offered many sacrifices. But Samuel told King Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. So God is more concerned with one's obedience than he is the sacrifice that he brings to the altar. And Abel offers his sacrifice by faith. He offered his sacrifice by hearing and obeying the word of God that came through his father Adam, who got it from his father God. So disobedience is sin, and sin brings death. Romans 6.23 tells us plainly, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you might say, yeah, but Adam and Eve didn't have the New Testament. I realize that. But they didn't need it because God taught them that taught them everything they needed to know when he killed two innocent animals and, and uh, made skins of those two animals and covered Adam and Eve with it. And that was a type and shadow of the shed blood of Jesus Christ as well. A substitutionary death. An innocent life for a guilty one. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed his innocent life to pay for the sins of our guilty life. So God established that in the third chapter of Genesis that somebody is going to have to die for sin. And because of his mercy, he allowed that innocent animal to die in our place. We're the ones deserve to die. But God said, I'll accept the sacrifice of an innocent animal in your place. And we'll continue to do this so to keep you in my graces until my son does come and makes the ultimate sacrifice. So Adam tried to cover his and Eve's sin with fig leaves. But the fig leaves that he was trying to cover their sin with 
was already dying. As soon as he cut it from the root, it began to die. So he's trying to cover death with more death. And you can't cover death with death. You have to cover death with life, something that gives life. And so a blood sacrifice was what was required. And that's exactly what Abel offered in true faith and obedience. And I believe that is why Abel's offering was a better sacrifice. Because it was offered by faith, and it was the proper offering for his sin. Cain not only offered the wrong sacrifice, but it wasn't by faith-filled obedience either. If it was, he had the same lessons that Abel was taught from his father, which was taught from God the Father. So he should have known what type of offering was expected and what type of offering he should have brought, at least for that particular uh, time of worship. I mean, there's different offerings for different things. They had all kinds of offerings all throughout the Old Testament. But there was only one offering for sin, and that was the offering of an innocent animal's life and blood. So he didn't worship according to the word of God, and that's why God rejected his offering. And Cain brought the fruit of the cursed ground. He brought the work of his hands, which was symbolic of what Adam did with the fig leaves. That's what religion boils down to, is man trying to get close to God or approach God through his own self-righteousness or his own works. And God says, not for this. That doesn't work for this. So God taught Adam and Eve that a blood offering was necessary when he stripped them of their fig leaves and killed those two innocent animals. And I'm sure it was a life lesson for Adam and Eve. I don't think God just showed up with those animal skins and covered them. I think God slaughtered them animals in Adam and Eve's presence and all along the whole process he's teaching and telling them why this had to be done. He said, I told you in the day that you eat of that fruit, whatever it was, an apple, an orange, a pear, a banana, I don't know what it was, but he said, the day you eat it, you shall surely die. And that day, they died first spiritually and then they begin to die physically. Everything on the earth began to die that day that they sinned in disobedience. Every plant, every animal, they were all created to live eternally. They began to die that day. But Adam was made so perfect by God, being the first man, the first human. He was made so perfect, it took the devil over 900 years to kill him. But the day he ate of the fruit, he died spiritually, which is separation from God. There's three types of death in the Bible, but none of them ever speak of a cessation to exist. It's a changing. It's a moving from one realm to another. Spiritual death is a separation from God, but you continue to live. You were created an eternal being, and you will live eternally. But you determine where you're going to spend eternity. But you are going to live eternally. You're going to live either eternally in the heavenlies with God or you're going to live eternally in the lake of fire. But you will live eternally. And so even physical death is not a cessation to exist. It's a passing from one realm to another. It's moving day. You know, my brother Jim just uh, transitioned from earth to heaven. He moved, but he's more alive now than he's ever been. And that's one of the reasons why I can find comfort 
Uh, even in the death of uh, someone we love so dearly, I can find comfort because I know where my brother went. I know where Queenie's brother went. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that they knew Jesus Christ and that was their ticket to heaven. So I know my brother is where exactly where he wants to be. And as much as he loves his family, he wouldn't come back if he had the opportunity because he knows what's in store for them. And although he can't come back to them, they're going to they're gonna go to him someday. And it won't be as long as we think. I look back on the years and I wonder where they went. <laughs> and it seems like the older you get, the faster they move for some reason. <laughs> but hallelujah, this is just a passing through here. You know, we have an eternity to live. So uh, James says, for what is life? It is but a vapor. It appears for a short time, then vanishes away. What's a vapor? It's here and gone, just like that. Compared to what? Eternity. So we got a lot to look forward to. Death is not the end, it's the beginning. We don't mourn the death as Christians, we celebrate a life. Amen? I, I don't want to turn this into a funeral message, but uh, it's the truth. This is why, you know, uh, we grieve, and uh, uh, but we don't grieve like the world grieves. Why? Because we have a hope. This ain't the end for us. Hallelujah. This is the beginning. Death is the beginning. Praise the Lord. Got myself all excited here. But uh, God taught Adam and Eve about a blood offering. And here we have uh, the difference between the God-revealed doctrine of blood sacrifice versus humanity trying to please God with their own self-efforts, which is, boils down to religion. That's exactly what Cain, Cain was doing. Cain's offering was reminiscent of Adam and Eve covering themselves with fig leaves when they realized that they were naked. And uh, Cain's offering was representative of his father's sin, where Abel's offering was representative of his father's solution. So Adam taught both of his children. He taught them what the results of sin was, and he taught them how to atone for that sin through the blood sacrifice that God taught him. So we may not know all the details, but we do know that God had demonstrated firsthand the correct sacrifice for sin when he provided that covering for Adam and Eve. And I'll guarantee you he explained in detail every move that he made during that sacrifice. And I'm sure he explained exactly why they had to die and the process that they had to die and the blood being shed and how it had to be applied. And you'll find that thread of the blood all throughout the entire Bible. Every book of the Bible, you'll see that thread of blood running through it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It hasn't changed. So uh, verse 5 says, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. How many, how many know you can tell when somebody's missed, right? You can just see it in their face. Their countenance changes. Their, their face drops. It, it becomes downcast. So Cain didn't take his offering being rejected very well. And in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? I think it's a legitimate question. 
Why is your face downcast? You know, he really didn't have anything to get angry about. He should have been angry with himself rather than with God. How many knows it never turns out well for you when you get angry with God? Every time there's something wrong, it's always with you and never with God. And we need to develop that attitude right away. Otherwise, you'll be just like Cain, and you'll get miffed at God. And that's not going to prosper anybody. Then God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So it's up to us to rule over sin. When sin is crouching at your door, it's, it's time for you to take authority over it. It's time for you to rule over sin, because if you don't, sin is going to rule over you, and it's going to walk all over you, and the whole intent is for it to bring death into your life. And it will kill something. It might not take your life right away, but it will kill your finances, it will kill your marriage, it will kill your relationships, it will kill a lot of things, but it will bring death to something. It always does. So God asked him, in the King James, he said, why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? So Cain's wrath was without excuse uh, because God gave him another chance to do what was right. He gave him another chance to bring the right sacrifice, and he would have found favor with it and found respect with it, just like he did with Abel's. But Cain refused to do that. God always gives us an opportunity to explain why we're acting the way we are. Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? It's a legitimate question. And even though he knows the real reason behind it, he wants us to admit the truth to ourselves. And then he wants us to repent and confess. That's why when he came into the garden, he asked, where are you, Adam? It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. He did know where Adam was. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He knows all. He's all powerful. It's not like he didn't know. He was trying to give Adam a chance to fess up. But that stinking pride came into Adam the day he sinned because he took in the... the uh, fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now he knows everything, or he thinks he does. And, and, but when he did, pride came in, because that's one of the things that attracted Eve. And, uh, you know, Adam is the real rascal in this story. The Bible says plainly that Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. And nobody died when Eve ate the fruit. Death came into the world when Adam ate the fruit. Why? Because the commandment wasn't given to Eve, it was given to Adam. He said, Adam, in the day that you eat of the fruit thereof, you shall surely die. Didn't say nothing about Eve. Eve was Adam's responsibility. It was his job to teach her because God taught him when Eve wasn't even around yet. And when she did eat of the fruit, be real plain about it, Adam should have rebuked her and said, no, you did wrong. God said, and then you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness. And I'm telling you, we'd be in the garden today. But he didn't. 
he let his wife influence him. And she was in deception. And Adam allowed her to deceive him into eating that fruit. And uh, so we blame Eve in the sense that she allowed the serpent to deceive her. And the way deception comes is first thing you do is change the word of God, which she did. She said that we're not supposed to eat it or touch it lest we die. God didn't say anything about touching it. Now, it's good if you don't touch it. It seems like, you know, in Proverbs, it tells us, you know, instead of trying to avoid the harlot's house, don't, go, don't even go down the street. So, you know, it, it was good advice not to touch the fruit, but God didn't tell her that. So the first thing that happens is she's deceived in what God said. She, she, she's not quoting the word the way it's supposed to be quoted, the way that God said it. And that's the first step in the direction of deception. And then the rest is history. But we have to blame Adam. I was listening to somebody preach a while back, and they said, they brought up the question, what are you going to do when you first get to heaven? And, you know, people are saying, well, I'm gonna, I want to see Jesus, and I want to do this, and I want to see my loved one, and I want to see that. They said, what are you going to do? He said, first thing I'm going to do is walk up to Adam and slap him right in the mouth. Because he started all this stuff, you know. And he's the reason why I'm sick. He's the reason why I never have enough money. He's the reason why I got a divorce. And he's the reason why this and that. And of course, you're the reason for all those things. But he wanted to blame somebody. And that blame shifting, of course, started in the garden. Eve, what'd you do? The serpent did beguile me, and I did eat. Adam, what'd you do? The woman that you gave me <laughs> gave to me, and I ate. You know, so. And then he turns to the devil, and the devil don't have anybody to turn to. The devil had to take the brunt of the blame. And, and that's we've been doing that ever since. Everybody's fault but mine. Hallelujah. But uh, Cain wouldn't admit he was wrong. Instead, he was following that example set by his father and mother, and he starts blaming. He put the blame somewhere else. It's everybody but me. So Cain never answered the question, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? So he had a big attitude problem, and uh, it, that was on, it was on the verge of destroying his life, but he didn't realize it. How many know we don't need attitudes? Amen? Attitudes get us in trouble. And people can tell when you got an attitude. But God clearly lays Cain's options out for him. He says, if you do right, will you not be accepted also? But if you don't, sin will devour you. God never sneaks up on you with some kind of a penalty or a punishment. He always makes it clear. This is right. This is wrong. You choose. And then he even tells you, choose to do right. So if we don't, it's our own fault. So God's trying to convince Cain that he must take control of his anger and or his anger will take control of him and i've been there i know we've all been there where you just your anger is rising up and your face is getting red and you starting to blow steam out of your ears and you're just getting ready to let them have it whatever it is you're ready to blow your top and that's where cain was and god is trying to tell him get a grip on that 
take control of your anger because sin is crouching at your door and is getting ready to jump on you. And Cain just stuck with his anger. So we want to do something that we know is wrong, but we have a still small voice on the inside of us that says, don't do it. Don't do it. You know you heard that voice. Don't do it. But we ignore it and we do it anyway. And then later when it blows up in our face, we want to blame God and everybody else, but it's not our fault. That's our nature, but it's our old nature. We need to put the blame where it belongs, on ourselves. You know why the first thing you have to do in Alcoholics Anonymous is to confess that you're an alcoholic? You know why? Because if you don't, you will never be successful in that uh, program because it's not your fault yet. You had nothing to do with it. It's a sickness and it may be. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever been proven to be a sickness, but I do know it was a choice. No alcoholic ever woke up one morning and said, I think I'll be an alcoholic. They started with one drink. One joint, one hit, one pill, one whatever. They didn't start out that way. They worked hard at getting to be like that. And so, you know, is it a sickness? I don't know. But even if it is, God has a cure for it. But the first thing you have to admit is you've got a problem. If you don't believe you've got a problem, you're not, you don't believe you've got anything to fix. You don't believe there's anything to change. Because you think it's normal for you to be the way you are. But if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. I don't care what time of the day it is or what generation or culture we're living in. Uh, the Bible uh, says one thing in the beginning, and it's true all the way to the end. It never changes. God never changes. His word never changes. Matter of fact, he said, don't even change one dot, comma, period, or exclamation mark in my word. He said, it's got to stay the same. His word will stand forever. Hallelujah. But just like Cain, God gives us a chance to come to our senses, repent, and change our attitude. And the Holy Ghost is always asking us questions and showing us a way out before it's too late. But we override him, we ignore him, and uh, we blow right past it and go straight to the thing that we want to do. And then afterwards, we're so full of pride, just like Cain, that we'll never admit it's our fault. And so we focus our anger on the situation and then on the innocent bystander. You know, you've, you've been there. I mean, we, you, something gets you upset, you take it out on your spouse, you take it out on your children, you take it out on your co-workers at work, and it's not even their problem. They didn't do anything to you, but you're angry, and you've got to vent it. You've got to get it out on somebody rather than get control of it, repent, ask God to forgive you, and go back into the joy that you're supposed to be living. But we don't want to do that. Pride keeps us from doing that. That's what kept Adam from admitting his sin and it's what kept Cain from admitting his sin. But if we just repent and do what's right, just like God told Cain, he says, you know, will it not be accepted if you do what's right? And Cain refused to. But if we'll just do that, if we'll repent 
and then correct what we did wrong and then do what's right, we'll find that peace and that comfort that we need and that we're looking for. Not only that, but you'll find more acceptance. Instead of having people ducking every time they see you coming, they duck behind something because I wonder what kind of mood he's in today. You know, his countenance is falling. He looks like he's angry. I better avoid him today. That should never be said of a Christian. They should be glad to see you coming. Here comes life. Here comes joy. Here comes a good word. Here comes peace. Not duck. Here, here it comes. Anger is a strong emotion. And emotions are not easy to control and make it hard for us to see clearly. I remember uh, in the service, in addition to our hand-to-hand -hand combat training and stuff that we got, and, and they taught us in that, but uh, some of us took extra courses. I took courses in karate. And uh, one of the first things that we learned is that we have to control our anger. They said, if you lose your anger, you're going to be taken advantage of. Because you can't think clearly, you can't see clearly, and you're going to make a lot of stupid mistakes. So you have to control your emotions. And, uh, you know, it's like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. But, uh, and then everything changes. And it's the same thing with anything. You know, you have got to train yourself. You've got to renew your mind, train yourself, so that no matter what the circumstances are, you can maintain control. Because your natural reaction is to lose it. But if you lose it, you're going to be taken advantage of. Because they, they take advantage of that because they're in control of their emotions. They're thinking clearly. They're seeing clearly. And you acting like a fool. And you'll throw all your training out the window and you'll do something stupid. So we control our emotions. This is our body, our mind, our will our emotions and we should be controlling them rather than them controlling us. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Hallelujah. But it's a strong emotion and it really takes the power of the Holy Ghost to help us to train. Just like with our tongue. You know, James says it's an unruly evil set on fire of hell itself. So how do we control it? He said, Whoever can control his mouth or his tongue, the same would be a perfect man. Well, how do we control? We can't control it by ourselves. But with the help of God, the help of the Holy Ghost, we can control it. Amen. But anyway, if we listen in those moments to that still, small voice who's asking us the same questions. Where are you? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance downcast? We should stop and think about it a minute and then answer God and tell him. And I'm telling you, once you answer those questions, uh, you'll realize that if I do right, I'll be accepted just like Cain would have been accepted, just like Abel was accepted. So we have to stop and say, hey, why am I angry? Get to the source of it. You know, why am I downcast? Why am I miffed? Why am I twitterbated or sad? And, and if you answer those questions honestly, you're on your road to uh, recovering peace. Cain's anger burned to the point that it blinded him to the truth. He couldn't see the truth, 
and it was right there before him. He couldn't see. He was just like Pilate. Pilate was so upset at what they were trying to do to Jesus. He told Jesus, uh, you know, what is truth? And here truth is standing right in front of him. And he couldn't even see it. Why? Myth. Emotional. Couldn't see straight. Blinded. So Cain's anger was like that. And I said this went to be by his brother because it was God setting precedence for Jesus being killed by his brethren. And the Bible says that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. It was the Jews that killed him. It was by the hand of the Romans, but it was the Jews that killed him. Pilate wanted to set him free. The Romans didn't want to crucify Jesus. They did it because of religious pressure from the Jews. The Jews killed Jesus. Make no mistake about it. But it had to be that way. God had pre-written it all the way back there in the fourth chapter of Genesis. But are you hearing what God is saying here? Why is it when someone sins and God tells them how to correct it, why do they puff up and get a stiff neck and refuse to do it? God's given you a chance to get things right and correct things. Why do we puff up and refuse to do it? I don't understand that. Instead, Cain becomes angrier and then takes it out on his innocent brother Abel. The Jews became angry. What shall I do with this man called Jesus? They said, crucify him. And they did it with an angry look on their face. They were angry. But that would be rather, that would be easier than repenting and doing what's right. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. What if Abel refused to go out in the field? Probably wouldn't have got killed. I mean, out in the field. Come into the field. Come onto my turf. Come to my territory where I can deal with you, where I have the home court advantage. Come to my ground. Leave the kingdom. Leave the church. Leave the fellowship of other believers and leave the word, leave prayer, and leave God behind and come into the field. Come onto my turf. And that's where he got killed. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know how many times I've asked my own children questions like that. What did you do? Where is this? Why did you do that? First thing they say, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you go to your room and you just sit there until you figure it out, until you can tell me why you did this. I don't know. But then Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord, see, the Lord didn't answer his question either. And the Lord said, what have you done? He says, listen, listen, listen. Listen to what? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Blood not only has a voice, but it has direction. Blood not only speaks, but he, it knows who he's speaking to. And 
God says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground in which it was spilled. So blood has a voice. It can be heard when it cries. And Abel's blood cried out because of injustice. Abel's blood, above all things, was crying for justice because it was killed unjustly. And don't ever forget that the voice, that the blood has a voice. Don't ever forget that the blood speaks because it's pointing to the blood of Jesus Christ, which is going to come in a couple thousand, a few thousand years, and it's going to speak volumes. His blood is going to speak volumes. So instead of injustice, the blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness, salvation, redemption, righteousness. It's calling out all the things that we need. And if we can't hear uh, Abel's blood cry out from the ground, then we're going to have a hard time hearing Jesus' blood cried out from the ground. And we want to hear the voice of his blood because it brings justice and healing to everyone that hears it. If you don't hear it, you'll never seek it. If you don't hear his blood crying salvation and righteousness and justice to you, you'll never seek it. Christ's blood speaks. Abel's blood was crying for justice, and there's a lot of injustice in the world, and people are getting away with a lot of things, especially in the last couple of years. So it seems, it seems like they're getting away with it. These people think they can do injustice and get away with it, but God says no. And these people that have dodged justice by fooling crooked judges or paying off judges and using slick-talking lawyers that find a loophole in the law or get their uh, unjust client off through some type of a technicality, I got news for them. They're going to they're gonna face one more judge. He don't need any witnesses. He don't need any testimony. He knows all. He's seen it. He knows it. He heard it. And there's no way you're going to be able to deny it. You have another judgment coming. And he'll serve justice when he rules. His name is God Almighty, and he always hears the cries of injustice, especially when there's blood involved. Ooh, I can bring up some names and cases right now, but I'd probably get rebuked, maybe even turned off for it. But I can name some unjust cases that people got off from even murder and were found innocent. And we know they were guilty. All the evidence pointed to that, but they get off on a, a technicality or they're, they're uh, uh, tried in the courts of public opinion or something. And because of pressure from public opinion and different organizations and things like that, the judges and the, the courts cave and they go within justice rather than meeting they should. I wish I could name names, but I can't. Keep crying out because justice will be served. I don't care if it's an abusive spouse, an unjust employer. I don't care if it was an unjust relationship. 
I'm telling you, justice will be meted out someday. Hopefully here in this day and time. But if not here, when we stand before him, justice will be meted out. Justice out for slaying his brother. And because of what Cain did, he was found guilty by the righteous and true God of all injustice, or all justice, and he pronounced Cain's punishment. And Cain said it was more than he could bear. In verse 11 it says, Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer, a vagabond on the earth. Won't be accepted by anybody. And Cain raises the question, well, as soon as somebody kills me and knows what I did, or sees me and knows what I did, they're going to kill me. God says, no, they ain't. I'm going to put a mark on you. They better not touch you. You're going to live this sentence completely out. You're not going out the easy way. You're going to pay for it. And oh, by the way, in case you were wondering, the answer to Cain's question, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. If you see your brother has a need, you better help him. Don't bring any harm to your brother. Don't bring any harm to your neighbor. You better walk in love towards him. Amen? Because God is going to hold you accountable. Because we are our brother's keeper. We're our sister's keeper, our neighbor's keeper. We're God's representative in the earth, God's ambassador. And how would God treat him? Because there's coming a day where he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. And you better be in the sheepfold when he separates them. And you know the, the, the main reason or the, the main criteria for separating them is, you know, uh, you fed me when I was hungry, you gave me a drink when I was thirsty, you visited me when I was in prison, you helped me, you did this, you did that. And you go to my right hand. You didn't feed me. You didn't help me. You didn't visit me. You didn't give me drink. You go to my left hand. That's the criteria. You know, and what does it boil down to? Being your brother's keeper. That's going to be what separates you from the goats. And you don't want to be a goat. That'd be another sermon for another day. <laughs> There's sheep and there's goats. And you know our ministry is to the sheep. God said if, if one goes astray, uh, you lead the 99. If you have 100 sheep, you lead the 99, you go after the one that went astray. Now this is me paraphrasing it, but if the one that went astray is a goat, you let him go. You stay, you stay with the 99. You might not think that's right, but it is. And if it's a sheep that went astray, it's one thing. But if it's a goat that did it on purpose and did it because it wanted to and did it because it was stubborn and didn't want to listen, let him learn his own lesson. Amen. But even the sheep, like Brother Darrell taught us that Wednesday night, or it was Sunday, huh, Brother Darrell? He said that when the shepherd finds that sheep that went astray, breaks his leg. But then he has to carry that sheep everywhere he goes until that leg heals. 
But once that leg heals, this stuck with me, Brother Darrell. I didn't know that until you taught it. But once that leg heals and he puts that sheep back on the ground, that sheep follows that shepherd everywhere he goes and never goes astray again. Now, I'm all for the broken leg part. I ain't too big on that carrying you around until <laughs> you heal. But <laughs> that's the truth. And so... Uh, My ministry is to the sheep, not to the goats. So if you got any characteristics of a goat, you better get rid of them. Because <laughs> when you go astray, I'm going to let you walk. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I better quit here before Sam is crouching at my door right now. Getting ready to leap on me. So let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for the word that comes forth, Lord. Thank you that if we didn't learn anything else today, we learned that we are our brother's keeper. And we learned that you're a God of a second chance. And when we do wrong, you always send the Holy Ghost to tell us. And you always send the Holy Ghost to not only point it out that it's wrong, but also give us the solution for it. You said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You give us choices to make, Lord. But you not only give us choices to make, you tell us what the right choice is. You always lead us in the right direction. All we have to do is stop long enough to listen. Listen. And we will hear. So we thank you and praise you that you're a God of second chances, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. So, Lord, when we mess up or we're about to mess up, show us. Tell us what to do, Lord, to avoid your judgment. We thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And we will all the days of our life. And we thank you for it and give you grace, uh, glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.